Welcome to Arc Reactions Podcast. My name is John. And I'm Larissa. And this is episode 152 covering The Mandalorian Season 2. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. We will be talking about plot points from Season 2 of The Mandalorian. So if you have not watched the show, please pause the episode, go watch Season 2. It's eight episodes. And then you can come back and listen to the show after you've watched the, the season. Uh, if you're new to the show, we will be talking about things we didn't like, followed by things we did like, and finally giving the season an overall rating. So, Larissa, what is your first thing you did not like about season two of The Mandalorian? Okay, the first thing I didn't like was that in the very first episode, it was very dark. And I mean lighting-wise, not like dark in terms of... Thematically? Yeah. Uh-huh. It was like physically very dark and i get that it's like nighttime and they're walking in like a sketchy neighborhood or like you know down an alley and stuff but i feel like there could have easily been things to just help the audience see things better because there was like some really cool graffiti on like the wall but like it it like panned by so quickly and then it was so dim that like i couldn't make out anything that maybe would have been really cool to notice yeah because i believe uh so they did the um gallery thing again for season two after um the the series ended but it was only an hour long episode this time it wasn't uh many episodes like it was for season one but i do remember in there they did talk to the uh person who made the graffiti for that planet and yeah, I didn't even notice it in the episode, which, I mean, as Dylan has pointed out, and I've I've said a few times on, uh, in the past, I don't always notice uh, the, the background details. So that may be partially on me, but it also could be that it was so uh, visibly dark. Uh, and they did say something about that at making... It being done thematically during during the season, I can't remember if that was the Ahsoka episode specifically they were talking about in the the gallery. Um, but there's ways to do it thematically, and I think what they did in the Ahsoka episode, for the most part, was good use of thematic darkness and light because her lightsabers, when they cut on, uh, gave enough light. Face. Yeah, they gave enough light to what needed to be have light at the time, and then when she turned them off, she could kind of blend into the fog. Mm-hmm. But there are many other points, like the people standing up on the um, edge of the the walled-in city in that episode, the stuff you're talking about at the very beginning of the season in episode nine, uh, or chapter nine, first episode of this season. Um, yeah, that stuff was just too dark, and I think it went beyond giving the thematic... Um, darkness that they were going for into just i can't see what's going on and i have very little light on while i'm watching on my tv and i think at one point when uh, when i was watching it i thought there was a problem with my tv but then it especially in episode not or, or chapter nine the first episode of this season it goes to tattooing after that and it is very bright and easy to see everything so it wasn't my tv it was the amount of lighting that they had. And yeah, that, that bothered me as well as like, I feel like I was missing out on stuff because it was so difficult for me to make out the characters and what I'm supposed to be focused on, let alone, you know, any background details. Yeah. And I just, I felt like 
even little things could have been done. So like maybe the eyes on the, the creatures could have been just a little bit brighter. Um, like I could tell they were there. It was just, it was again, really dim even compared to like the Ahsoka episode with, with the fog. Um, and then even, I don't know, maybe having a point of view through, through Din's helmet because, um, you know, he has different, I don't know, settings. On yeah. Different his... vision modes. Like right. we know he has infrared and, um, well, I don't know, maybe that's it. Like kind of infra- at least infrared, which would give us more information than what we had. Yeah. I just, I was kind of disappointed in that because I feel like there's probably a lot of cool things that they had on the set and that I just, it would have been nice to been, to have been able to see things, um, a little bit more clearly even even in the uh fighting arena or that there is the arena that was very well lit but everybody around it um aside from when they had the kind of close-up with whoever was talking or making the deal and stuff with uh with amando um i feel like maybe we missed out on some characters or seeing some other character or people or you know characters people that were in the arena too or not not in the ring, but in the audience. Yeah, in the audience. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder if at any point, because, like, they went to, they made a big deal about telling us about the, um, oh, what did they call it? It's not the expanse, the the volume, um, which is this what they used where they could project a background, so it wasn't just like a green screen, but they could um, project a background that the characters could see and the the cameras and everything. Um, and I'm wondering if they ran into any issues with some of those scenes and that's why they purposely didn't light them as much is because the, I, I know they mentioned they built that part of that arena and did the rest in the volume because it was too cost prohibitive to build that in as an entire set. Um, so maybe they ran into something there that we just weren't aware of, but yeah, it was, it was really strange to me that, for the most part, the lighting is really good, except in a few of these really dark scenes where it, it just, it was really difficult to see. So yeah, that, that did bother me as well. And like I said, made me question if I had a problem with my TV. Um, yeah. Anything more or should I, I give one now? Uh, you can go ahead. Okay. Um, the first one that that I noticed, and when I watched through the second time, it, it wasn't quite as bad, but I still noticed it, is the, um, I still feel like the, this show is a lot like a video game. And the one thing that makes sense in a video game, because otherwise the story would be over too quickly is the, you complete whatever quest and, Oh, that isn't your, the thing you were seeking your main uh, plot isn't there. So you have to continue on to the next place. And I feel like this show did a lot of, Oh, uh, your princess is in another castle, you know, like, Oh, uh, the Mandalorians. Yeah. That there, there's one on Tatooine. So he goes to Tatooine and he finds Boba Fett's armor, but it's not a Mandalorian. So then it's like, okay, um, go back to where your ship is and ask again. And then you get told, oh, there's Mandalorians over here and this person can take you there. So then you get the twofold of the your princess is in another castle. Plus, I need you to do this for me and then I will help you, which happened a lot in this as well. So those two kind of video game tropes that make a lot of sense in video games. I, I felt like kind of hurt the story a little bit in, in my opinion here, because 
it kind of drew me out of the immersion I was having otherwise into the Star Wars universe of like, oh, this is just a plot device to move the story along or to pad it out before we get to the ultimate, you know, conclusion of, of this plot or, the, or this season's portion of the plot. I think part of, well... I don't want to take away from your bad point, but to make it into a maybe good point or just another way that I'm seeing it is this was also a way that they brought in a lot of uh, other characters or or different scenes, different planets, because um, let's see, one of them was go uh, go find Ahsoka. So then then that's how we get her in, in the episode. Um, the other one is let's see. What was the first? Oh, finding other Mandalorians was his first goal, right? So we go that that's when we see Boba Fett's armor. So we're like, oh, okay, what's going to or that was actually the first episode. So it was like, oh, hmm, what? Like, where are they going with that? Um, so that that, you know, eventually leads to, oh, finding out he's still alive. Oh, finding out Fennec is still alive. Oh, you know, all these things. So in a way maybe i mean maybe that was their way of bringing yeah, yes. people in um this is not a bad point to me but i could see it being a bad point for other people is the um backdoor piloting that the show is doing so we know they announced an ahsoka show so she's going to get her own show and at the very end of this uh season in the last episode after some of the credits we got a little teaser scene that announced now a boba fett show so some people would have a problem with the uh, when they do this in other shows, they call it a backdoor pilot. So they introduce something in this show that then spins off into its own show. I don't have a problem with that. I, I like that, actually, because um, it, it makes the world feel connected. So that is a good point f- to me. But yes, I can I can see what you're saying is like that was their way of getting to those characters so they could, you know, test the reaction. Maybe like, I don't know if if they're going to do something with Bo-Katan further or like, I think they announced a season three of this show. Um, and so maybe she's going to be in it. Cause it sounds like Boba Fett's going to go off and do his own thing. So maybe he's not going to be in season three, but maybe Bo-Katan will continue to be in season three. It doesn't sound like Ahsoka is going to be in um, season three of this. Cause she's getting her, her own show. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. So, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I guess, I don't know, it just it just seemed like a lot to me, especially after a lot of similar things in season one. Like, I don't know if that's because it's Jon Favreau writing most of it. And, you know, I'm not sure what he's written before this. Like, maybe he's not as polished a, a TV writer. Like, he's he's a good director and he's... Definitely got a love for Star Wars along with Dave Filoni, and I think they're doing great work with this show. But this just seems a little bit off to me. Like it's not, it. I feel like it's it's a little bit of nitpicking on my part, but it's because I want this to be really really good, and that detracts for me a little bit from it being absolutely fantastic. You know, the best thing ever kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I was. I don't know, really bothered by, I guess I'm just moving away from, from this topic now, um, is in the second episode of this season, the, so that, that episode is about, um, helping transport the, uh, frog woman's, 
um, eggs to the other planet where her husband is. Yeah, her and her eggs to the water planet, which we get to in the thir- third episode. Yeah. And I feel like uh, like part of it might have been to for for the humor of like the the child eating the eggs but i feel like they did it too many times and like then it's for me i started questioning like oh why can't they like lock that container and like or lock the the closet or you know whatever compartment in the ship that has it if they can't lock the container or like why aren't you keeping an eye on the on the kid? And I don't know, something about that bothered me a, a bit. Yeah, there there was, I mean, to expand on that point uh, a little bit further, broaden it a little bit more, there was lots of points even later in the season where there were questionable character decisions. And I'm like, you're just making things more difficult, harder. Like if you just like did it this way, you know, it'd be so much easier on you. Like I, I, I'm thinking of Boba Fett putting down, or not Boba Fett, um, the Mandalorian putting down the jetpack in the episode where the the baby gets gets snatched, and then he never goes and gets it back. Like I guess he gets it back at some point because he has it later. I but I think he has it in the last episode. So yeah, that I mean, that's another thing that I was wondering about. Like, how does he get it? back also why wasn't your first instinct to put it back on when things started coming yeah because it's not like you went far away from it yeah well okay and then uh, well to tag on to that there's the other episode where um there there were uh, pirates that were gonna like hijack his equipment and stuff and one of them wanted his jetpack which he puts down and he can call it back like his um his wrist or arm it yeah yeah so in that one episode, he could have got it back from wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there's that where if we expand that point to many uh, unhelpful decisions by the characters that don't have any real logic to behind it, to, to my, uh, in my opinion, um, like any character flaw that would cause them to make the wrong decision, if that makes sense. Like it was just... It's something that wasn't thought through in the writing, in my in my opinion. But then to come back around to the original uh, bad point that you're talking about, which is the the baby eating the eggs, um, we find out later in the season that he pretty much knows what everyone is saying and understands. Like he can't really communicate except through the Force, and we've learned that in the Ahsoka episode. So like she's communicating with him. And it's pretty obvious at that point that he understands what everyone is saying, and it's just whether or not he chooses to to do what's asked of him or well, or not. Well, I guess that's that's maybe also on another thing that just it confuses me a little. I'm like, what does he actually understand? Like, how I don't know where the like to compare it to. I guess humans, what the intellectual capacity or like understanding is like what stage of child is he yeah i mean because we only get two people that are that are communicating back to the mandalorian what he is communicating uh ahsoka and then you know the at the end of of the the last episode when when luke shows up and he says he's he's he wants your permission so basically he's telling the mandalorian 
this is what Grogu is is waiting for because the Mandalorian said something about uh, go with him, go or go with him. You need to be uh, reunited with your kind or something to that that effect. And Luke tells him that he's waiting for his permission, and that's when he takes the helmet off and you know says his goodbye and everything. So I get from that and from the Ahsoka episode that he pretty much understands at least when he's saying no not food, don't eat this. Like those are things he can understand. He maybe not doesn't understand, you know, oh, we need to knock out the the hyperdrive motivator on this ship so it can't follow us. Like that may be too high of a concept for him to understand, but don't eat this, not food. Like those are pretty basic concepts that I feel like he understood and just decided to ignore. And yes, it was played for a joke, but that really bothered me because he was I feel like he should have understood that those were her eggs or that she really cared about them and, you know, he shouldn't be taking them from from there and eating them. That and I feel like tone of voice, unless he couldn't detect a tone change from Din. Like when you're saying no, usually you're saying it in, you know, kind of a stern manner. Um, but yeah, I just, I guess that still confuses me as like, to what exactly he understands because there's also the part where like oh that red wire connect it to where the blue wire was and like don't let them touch but yeah not that blue wire so again it's uh, does he understand colors does he understand yeah that that might be a little more complicated yeah but no don't eat that yeah i feel like he knew better yeah i agree like that that really bothered me as well especially since it it went through two episodes and and yeah yeah i i i can't justify it and watching it back it just it was cringy for me Mm -hmm. and it made it made me not it made me really not like that episode and there were other things that I would have liked so much better, um, but we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to episode 10 because, yeah, there's stuff in there and that'll come up in my good points. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, did you have another thing that you... Um... Um, no, I, I think that, that covers my my bad points. It, it, it was kind of those... The, the, same, the same stuff you, you brought up and, and then the seeming too close to a video game okay i had a couple more so one of them was the last episode i was like how does a a laser weapon jam i i don't know i mean okay i don't know i don't know the mechanics of you know star wars weaponry but i was kind of confused so so this this is good this is probably no longer true but in the old, in the, the Legends canon, um, Bespin, Cloud City, they were mining Tabana gas. So that gas that they were mining from, from the atmosphere of the planet was used to make the um, cartridges that made weapons fire. So it's not, it's not like it's a battery. Like they don't, they don't load bullets. Because they don't, they don't, they're not slug throwers, which is what what bullet type weapons are called in Star Wars. Um, but they're they're energy weapons. But that energy is made through a release of some sort of gas. So maybe if that is what jammed, I, I guess. Yeah, it it it's 
it's I understand what they were doing. They were giving you shorthand that you would understand with how weapons work currently. Yeah. More what bothered me about that was that you have a very experienced soldier who doesn't know how to properly clear a weapon. That's like the the second thing you're taught in basic training. Like I haven't fired a weapon in probably a decade. I bet you I could still clear one, a jammed weapon, because it's so ingrained into you in your training as a soldier of, you know, how to clear a jammed weapon that the fact that she struggled that much to clear it kind of bothered me more than it jammed. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, it was just things I didn't quite understand and they kind of bother me. So the the last thing I kind of have is the facial scanner in uh, the episode or two before that, um, where they're infiltrating the, the Radonian, uh, the refinery refinery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all that Din had to do was remove his helmet and it scanned. Like it didn't matter what, who or who you were it just scanned your face and it's good you can have access to whatever else was in that system aside from the coordinates that um right they're getting the coordinates for moff gideon's ship um that kind of bothered me because i was like what no security i guess it goes back to my thing from season one like where's the security yeah that that ties into what we've already talked about a little bit with poor character decisions if you know that thing is a facial scanner, why are you still wearing the helmet when you try to use it? That's just going to make it go into alarm mode, which attracts the it attention did. of the guy. So, yeah, he fixed it by removing the helmet and getting it to scan his face. But then, yes, why does Din's face work when he is not in the Empire, has never been in the Empire, wouldn't be in any kind of database, shouldn't be able to access that with a, with a face scan, like... Yeah, I, I'm that that scene on a number of levels uh, boggled uh, me that well, it went down the way it did. And then if if Mayfield was gonna step in anyway, he could have just. I know his whole thing was, oh, what if the guy recognizes me because I, you know, had to work under him, all that. But then it was like, oh, you're gonna step in anyway, and then all right, like if it wasn't, if there was a possibility that any face was not gonna work. His would have been the one to work, I would think. So Yeah, of all the people they had available, which was uh, Boba Fett, maybe, because his face is the same as any other clone trooper, and if there's still any around at this point. Well, they did give reasons that, like Fennec, and he couldn't. Yes. Like, oh, the bounty on him, yeah, you know. Right, but um, to add another layer to that, uh, at, like five minutes into the episode... Um, Mayfield takes the helmet off and won't put it back on for any the reason. The whole time, even through they get to the the refinery area, they already, you know, they actually got their vehicle there and then doesn't put it back on. But like Din doesn't really make a big deal out of it by the time they get there. Yeah, cuz if he's worried about being seen, no one seemed to care that a stormtrooper, which is an an enlisted, it's not going to be an officer is going into the officer's mess hall. That's like a big deal. Like enlisted are not supposed to go into any place that's specifically for officers, like an officer's club, an officer's mess hall, anything like that. They're meant to not have enlisted folks in there. So the fact that uh, Din just wearing a stormtrooper outfit or whatever that 
is classified as because he's like i'm a uh you know freight pilot or whatever and and that's apparently good enough for for the guy that confronted him so not a stormtrooper but anyway it looks the same the armor um the fact that he's just able to waltz in there one is a problem and two no one paid attention to him until he made the machine start start beeping so if mayfield had put his helmet on walked in there with his helmet on went to the machine took his helmet off got what he needed put his helmet back on he probably could have walked out and no one would have said a thing to him and then you wouldn't have had to start the firefight and everything else that that occurred you know for the rest of that episode it's like uh yeah the 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 little those i i get what they wanted they wanted that argument about oh like this is a you know an officer that's really proud of the empire and wants to like cause uh you know people hurt you know, more people hurt besides the that mission that that Mayfield was on, where you know a bunch like the entire platoon died except for you know him and and that guy, and, you know, and they wanted that confrontation. So I, I understand why they did it. It's just the decisions made to lead up to that were kind of boggling to me. It, you know, to make it a believable episode. Yeah. So, but that kind of wraps it up for me in terms of things that kind of just confused me, which ended up being things that I didn't really like um, throughout the episodes. But um, other than that, yeah, I think we can move on to our good points. So do you want to start us off with something you really liked? Sure. So to to touch back on a few things we've talked about before, one thing I really liked about this, and I said this in, in, in our season one episodes, is... Um, the the love of Star Wars that Dave Filoni and John Favreau and everyone else involved in making The Mandalorian has and the things that they put in there. So we got to see again that troop transport, which was uh, we found out in the gallery um, of season one was uh, a toy that was made that was never in the movies, but it was made, you know, in when the first three movies came out, episode four, five and six. And so a lot of kids had that toy and, you know, the, the, the people making it are my age and a little bit older. So they grew up with the same, the, all these toys. So they actually put that vehicle into Star Wars with, but it came from a toy that was made that looked like something that could have been in Star Wars, but wasn't. So that got put in there. Um, I, I think I pointed out to you in episode nine um, so the first of the season, or maybe it was 10, I don't remember, but the, the point of, yeah, it was nine. Cause it was when they're trying, he's trying to find Moss Pelgo. Um, uh, Peely calls over an R5 unit. It's the same R5 unit that in episode four blew its motivator. So R2 could stay with 3PO when uncle Owen is buying droids. Now they called an R2 unit in star Wars because at that point, George hadn't, you know, made R5. They were all R2 units. But then later, that flatter-headed uh, astromech droid became the R5 unit, and that's what uh, Peely had was that same droid. So that was cool to see. And then in episode 10, to, to come back to the cool things from that episode, those spiders that were in that ice cave were an original Ralph McQuarrie design. He's the guy who did a lot of the like storyboards for the, the original trilogy, of just vi- like visualizing Darth Vader where he looks kind of more samurai than he turned out in, in in his costume, you know, and the lightsabers look a little bit different and everything. So he did a lot of those drawings. Well, he made these spiders for Hoth, but they didn't get used on Hoth. Um, and so Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau were like, well, we know this Ralph McQuarrie design that was meant for an ice planet. Why don't we put them on this ice planet? 
you know, and then we can differentiate it from Hoth a little bit and make this like really cool, creepy, like kind of alien vibe and creatures swarming the ship and everything. Like that sequence was fantastic. I love that spider sequence. And then to find out that those were coming from a Ralph McQuarrie design, like it's those things. It's the little things that, that just make me so happy to see, you know, and, and, um, it also in episode nine, the person who had Boba Fett's army armor, sorry, was Cobb Vanth. And that name, when I first heard it, I immediately got up and went and grabbed one of my books. Cause I'm like, I know that name. And I went and started flipping through the book and sure enough, it's from the aftermath series, um, the trilogy of books, which is in the new Canon. And it's these little interludes in that, that are like a page long, but you know, he he's pulling from all these sources, both, um, current canon uh things that that would be considered legends canon but they're bringing back in you know and and so i was just so happy to see all of the all of those things being being used and you know filling in the 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 lore of star wars even more than the movies can i think going off of that um i just have notes about like all the different creatures um that came out through all these episodes and i think that's what really excites me it's kind of it's the continuation of you know what i've said about the first season all the all the things that you don't necessarily see in um kind of the the other movies um that are coming out in these series um so yeah like uh like you were saying those those kind of frost spiders or ice spiders like i thought those were super cool um there were banthas in the, in this series. I don't think there is episode um, or in the first season. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we were on Tatooine long enough to see them. But yeah, they were in highly prevalent in this. In this one, yeah. they were you know they were sort of using them as bait at one point, but also you know just transportation. Um, I described the womp rats as uh, dino kangaroos on in my notes, but just. I feel like you don't see as as many of these creatures in in the other movies, so that's kind of what really excited me. Um, I think there is one part with uh, the the Tuscan Raiders have like jackal dog. Yeah, they have some things. sort of like uh, dogs, which those were seen in episode two in the in the village before Anakin kills everybody. But I just I feel like. I don't know. For some reason, I guess, or it could just be me, but I feel like there's more of an import- importance put on the creatures. Like that whole scene was, uh, uh, Din was uh, communicating with them, or they they came across them, and I was like, oh shoot, like you know, this could be bad. But then he starts communicating with them, and like it turns into a little thing. Um, and I I feel like that's pretty cool that they're incorporating the creatures as more than just stuff running across the scene in the background. Yeah, and they expanded on things that existed from the original trilogy. Like, we never saw a live crate dragon. Crate dragon. dragon. We saw the bones in the sand yeah. in the distance. And right? I think I think in the special edition, maybe you see a womp rat. But, like, they're, they're kind of just mentioned in the, in the original. So, like, again, it's things from like they're on that planet so why not put the things that belong on that planet in where they make sense and then they can be little easter eggs for people like me that like know what that is know what they're looking at but they don't have to like spell it out like oh look it's a womp rat 
It's like that no one would say that because they're used to just seeing them around and they're just it's like you and I walking around and saying, "Oh, look, there's a rat." It's like it's just not something you you would you would point out, but you know, it's it's cool that they took the time to put that in there. That okay, so getting back to the crate dragon, um I thought that was pretty cool that or there's the one scene where they're trying to plan out their um attack or how what they were going to do and they had some skeleton pieces and i was like well what what is that one from like is that um a baby one or some other creature that we we haven't seen yet um so i thought that was pretty cool too because it it for me it keeps me wondering um there's also um so once they they killed the crate dragon the um the Tuscan Raiders were looking for the the pearl or they found like or I don't know it was a huge ball that they found in the stomach somewhere I think yeah it, it I think it's a pearl um I, probably I really valuable I, yeah I want to say I read that in, in one of those legends books at one point that that crate dragons had pearls inside I, I think it works kind of like a clam they get something in there and then just develop a pearl for it, it's of no importance to them but it's valuable to people if they can manage to find a dead one. Yeah. Again, I just, you know, these little things that I'm learning here and there, I, I just think they're really cool. Um, aside from the creatures, I think just like you, like all, the different transportation, uh, there is a lot of different things uh, across these episodes. I thought those were super cool that they're they're actually using the different ones, um, you know, when they're escaping what was it? The lab. Um, they used something different. They had TIE fighters chasing them. Um, I think the planet that he ends up on, oh, the water planet, um, they they had to like do a manual landing, but they end up in the in the water and there is like a like an ATAT crane. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but that fished them out of the water and I was like, Whoa, what's that? But I don't know. I just, I thought these things were pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it did look, the bottom did look like an ATAT, and then it was a, it was a crane base and it, it makes, it makes sense. Like, I mean, I suppose you could have a water crane or you could have had a land crane that was doing the same thing, but I think that was just a, just cooler. Yeah. And then just, I don't know, the, the, the dark troopers, um, they said something about a HK-87 assassin droid. They had a, a bunch of different droids um, in this. I think we saw R2 at one point um, at the very end with Luke. Um, and then, yeah, like, I don't know. This stuff excites me. Yeah, I mean, we I think we gushed all over IG-11 and, and them reusing the IG platform in season one. So, yeah, it was cool that they went to... Like that one, that one's from canon because uh, IG-88 was in episode five, but this time they pulled a couple droids from Legends. So um, Jedi Knight Dark Forces uh, is a really old video game, like early 90s, mid 90s, and it had the Dark Troopers in it. And so they, they pulled that from there. And then uh, Knights of the Old Republic, which is 2001-ish, somewhere around there, um, which was a also a really... So both of those are super popular old Star Wars games, and the HK forty seven is the one from from that, and those HK eighty sevens looked like a little bit more modern version of that, which was cool. So yeah, just all these things that I'm like, oh, I could I, I could just sit here and and point out all the references if I if I had had them written down, but 
um yeah that stuff just made my enjoyment of, of the this series you know that much that much more because it's like i know what all this stuff is it's cool to see a, you know someone else that also knows this and puts it in in a way that fits as part of the episode so you don't have to necessarily know any of that backstory to understand what's going on um but if you do it just makes it that much cooler to to see that's what they chose to use um so going off of that so i talked about you know or we talked about the transportation and then the creatures so the other thing that i get really excited about um are the weapons so and we haven't touched on that yet but i just thought the weaponry and the armor so cool um so we saw the best scar um spear this time around we saw well we saw a little bit of the dark saber in the previous season but we see it a little more in this one we see it going up against the beskar um spear um and and dinjarin's armor um we we saw ahsoka's lightsabers super cool um that white was very illuminating um it helped in in the fog scenes i i thought that was done really well um we saw different i don't know grenades and like bombs that look like missiles um there was the fight scene with the um was it the gamorians in the in the ring yeah but they had axes or what what looked like to me axes but then when they clashed there was like blue light or sparks lightning sparks i think they each had force fields so it was a way for them to do basically the the equivalent of ufc but with weapons that's what i took from that is like they weren't going to kill each other at least not right away so i don't know if they're because the guy that din went there to talk to said something about if this guy this guy's gonna or i bet you that if this guy dies in the next minute or whatever you can have the information, but if I win, I get your armor or something like that. So that to me made it sound like the force field eventually breaks or loses its or runs out of energy or something, and then you can die, but it's to make the fight last longer than if it's just two people with axes going at each other. That's going to be over in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think, oh, we see a lot of use of the wrist cable, um, the his helmet again i think um maybe in the on that ice planet where he uses the kind of infrared or whatever to see the tracks from the frog lady um and like where they're leading to um we saw a lot of different blasters so i just again something i just really enjoyed building off of um the first season was the different weaponry and armor that we saw in this season but you're leaving out the coolest stuff. Well, that's because that's a whole nother... Boba Fett's a whole nother topic. Well, we can just start me. talking about that. Um, so, yeah, the Boba Fett armor did a lot more things than we've ever seen it do before. I mean, not that we really saw him do all that much in episode five and six. Um, and we've already talked about how the holiday special that introduced him between episode four and episode five, he had the same type of rifle that Din has, the one that has like the tuning fork at the end. Um, so that weapon we've already seen, but in Din's hands. So in here we got to see wrist rockets and knee rockets that uh, we had never seen 
mini rockets like that before. Like the the closest thing we had were the whistling birds that uh, uh, the Mando has, which right. it, which he got to use he, multiple times. First again. episode, he used it in the um, in that arena or fight. Yeah, in in that arena, and then yeah, that that's exactly how I described it for for Boba, but like from his knee, it was like those are built in and we've never seen that before i've never seen uh him use any kind of stuff like that before so i don't know if it like was an upgrade from like when Cobb vanth had the armor i doubt it i think just Cobb didn't know anything more than the backpack rocket which we got to see fire a couple two times. or three times because yeah. Cobb used it in the first episode and uh, Boba used it in. And he said he wasn't episode. aiming for. He was aiming for the other ship, but I don't. I well, okay, yeah, he has to have known because the way he was in that in the fight sequence, like he knew what he was doing. He knew all the capabilities of his armor, so like it had to have been there. And this is just, I that was. I don't know, such a great episode to showcase all of all of the things that we've never seen. Um, the other thing that we hadn't seen is anyone actually used the Gadurfi stick as a, a shillelagh or a club um, like we saw uh, Boba Fett do. And I didn't notice this, but they said in the gallery that he had a thinner and longer one created because the, the actor, Tamara Morrison... Because he wanted to use it in that fashion, and I guess the standard uh, Gadurfi stick prop didn't quite work for him, so he got a special one created for Boba Fett to use. But yeah, that was that was also really cool to me to see that, which is a um, the only time I've ever seen it before was with the Tusken Raiders until we saw Boba Fett with it. So it's I consider it a a traditional weapon of the of them, the Tuscan Raiders. And we did see them with with Gadurfi sticks in episode nine when they were helping with the um uh crate dragon. Um so so building off of this, okay, I'm I love Boba Fett and Django, but I I love Boba Fett and I just oh that episode was so awesome. Um we we got to see um the chain code in his armor and it looked kind of it was hard to see. Like, I kind of wish we had a, a little bit more of a close-up. Um, obviously, it, it was in a different language that we wouldn't be able to read. Well, you you could translate it, though, because that's uh, Arabesh, the Star Wars language. It's it's what's on that shirt I have, the Coke shirt. Oh, okay. Um, so it is translatable. So I'm sure someone, if we went Zoom looked, in, has, take a picture, yeah, zoom in, mm-hmm. and yeah, figure out like what exactly it said. Like, I just, I think that was so cool to incorporate um his his armor works with his ship and i i love that um what what was it the the eyepiece he was um aiming uh, maybe it was like with the tie fighter fight or something and i remember the eyepiece part coming down and then but they're in the ship and then the sonic charge gets dropped uh-huh. or something or he shoots something out i don't know i just was like oh that like your suit is so cool I, I mean that makes perfect sense like there's basically a little computer in there so why right. can't it like sync up with the ship um the other thing about the ship that that we had seen that um th- they they made a big deal of in the gallery was 
at one point when we're seeing the um, Cara Dune, Din, and I forget who else. It's either Mayfield or um, um, or Boba Carl Weathers character. Uh, I don't remember if he ever got on Slave One. Probably not. So it's probably Mayfield. They're they're in the navigation area, and Boba Fett's up in the cockpit. So we know from Episode Two that when you go get into Slave One, you sit like on your back, like gravity wise on your back, like a rocket ship, like a rocket would. ship. And then when it takes off, it it centers up, and you're sitting like normal. Well, that area where they were rotated, so it like was like a gyro or something. So it you were already flat. And then as the ship turned, it turned so that you stayed. So flat. you're right side up. Yeah. And I I I guess you have to kind of be watching for that, but it does. Like you can see in the background that it's rotating. It's like they're in a ball. Right. Like they're in a gyro stabilized yeah. ball and then as the ship turns they don't move or, or something something to that effect. Yeah, that 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 was cool. Um, the other thing I found interesting because when we see the chain code, when that whole sequence is going on and they're questioning, um, like Bo-Katan and them, I think, are questioning if he's a Mandalorian. He says he got the armor from his father, which means that is Jango's armor, uh, which I did not know. I, I, it got repainted, obviously, because Jango's was silver and blue, blue and mm-hmm. his is like green and red. So like he got it repainted it's obviously more dented and scratched up and everything from all of the stuff that he's gone through since since he got it but i did not know that that was Django's armor i i probably should have pieced that together but i just wasn't wasn't thinking about it because it it's it's that whole thing about having a prequel before the thing you're you're most familiar with so like i knew the armor is boba fett's first and then we get introduced to Django fett in the prequel and so i don't think it's the same armor but it logically makes sense that it would be. It's just the order of things makes didn't make me put the two and two together. And this show did it for me. So that was kind of cool. Um, I don't know that I have any more like good, good points. I'm sure you have more and I'll, I'll probably agree with you. So why don't you continue? Okay. Um, so one, I really like that they brought Fennec Shand back because I made a really big deal out of that in uh, the first season. I can't remember which episode it was, um, maybe six or so, but um, where we first get introduced to her. And then I made a big deal about like how like just having the actress. So having Ming-Na Wen as the actress and like she has all this um, like... I don't know, fighting martial art background. Like you've seen her possibly in other shows like, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, um, but you know, she has this fighting background and I felt like it was so underutilized in the first season. And then, and she's supposed to be this like really infinite, infamous um, assassin or, you know, like there's bounties out on her and stuff. And I was like, so, so disappointed that, she got killed off so quickly um so i was super excited when um she made this comeback in this season so i just wanted to throw that in there that um that was great well and we in the the teaser at the end she's still with boba so i'm assuming that we'll see more of her yeah she's probably going to be in the in that show the book of boba fett or at least i'm hoping so yeah so um i'm excited for that um going away from that um i actually 
kind of liked the character development um, of the Mando. Um, so, you know, from the first season, he's very much like, no droids. And in this one, the droids are working on his ship. And he's like, didn't make a fuss out of it. It was the other person that um, is like, yeah, Peely was going to. She was like, hey, don't. Yeah, she was going to basically, you know, give him what he wanted, which is I'm not going to force the droids to on you. Like, I'll I'll do whatever needs to be done myself. But then, yeah, he had softened. And so she was able to use her droids. So it it was it was. Yeah, that was nice to see. Um, Let's see. We kind of know this from the first season, but he knows a lot of different languages. But uh, but he doesn't know the language of the the frog people. Yeah, that that makes sense though to me because if they only live on a couple planets and he had no reason to go there, because she said something about this was the only place that she could go and like she couldn't use hyperspace, which tells me like they're in that one small section of space. Uh, although somehow she was on Tatooine and, and we know he's been there before because he knows, you know, Tusken Raider. And that's only on Tatooine, to my knowledge. I don't know that like Jawas are on other planets, as we saw with um, the Ugnaught Keel. Like they were also on his planet. So but I don't know that we've seen Tuscans anywhere else besides Tatooine. And he was able to sort of poorly communicate with the Jawas when when that was in season one. Um, I guess. Yeah, so he knows Tuscan or whatever language they speak. And I guess is that the same language he was speaking to the, the dog jackal creatures? Yeah, I would assume that would also have been Tuscan. Um, so again, just little bits and pieces that we're finding out about um, Din. Um, there's also, um, I mean, I feel like I kind of already knew that, you know, he, he cares for the child or for Grogu. We, we do have a name. Um, but like in having to leave him, like he's, I feel like he was kind of torn or like kind of confused himself. Cause it was like, oh, like it's my duty and my mission to leave and find him a Jedi to be with here, take him. But then he's like sad about it and you can hear it like in the voice or like kind of the, the hesitation. Um, so just, just more character development, Uh, to relate to that so we get it's kind of subtle and i think i think you need to know some things from clone wars to to really get the in the entirety of it but the first encounter between bo katan and the man and din so they take their helmets off and that like immediately trips is you're not real mandalorian defense where did you get that armor right and so then they explain to him you were found by uh, you're a, the child, watch. Of you're the a watch. child of the watch which they don't say death watch but that is death watch which if you've watched clone wars y- you know that death watch and bo-katan's uh allied folks were were fighting because the death watch folks were more militaristic and more um isolationist i think i think they wanted to like close off mandalore um I, I don't know that I've gotten to that part in my watch of Clone Wars, but I've seen enough stuff about it to understand that Bo-Katan was on the opposite side of Death Watch as far as, far as that goes. Um, but I think after that encounter and him learning that, no, there are other Mandalorians who do not, 
follow the this is the way I have spoken that we got a lot in season one and we didn't really get much here in season two that he kind of and then his experience with having to do the facial recognition and then him wanting to say goodbye to Grogu I feel like he's getting away from what he was raised a Mandalorian is and basically understanding that there are many ways to be Mandalorian and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that once you put the helmet on, you can never take it off, which is what he had understood up until meeting Bo-Katan. And then now he's met Bo-Katan and her two uh, friends and then also Boba Fett. So he's met multiple different types of Mandalorians outside of the enclave that he was in. And so I I see a growth there in the choices that he's made because yeah, it, it's cool to have that conversation between him and Mayfield about how, like, you seem to only... Is he, what is it? Is it you can never take that helmet off or you can never show your face because you were able to change into this Stormtrooper outfit and it, when it, when you needed to for this mission and then, you know, he takes his helmet off to do the scanner and everything. And so, like, I, I, I feel like that that whole that part of that episode might have been a little bit muddling of that growth that we're seeing from him through the other parts of the 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 season i don't, I don't know that it's necessarily muddling his growth i actually no, no, not not his growth oh. people's understanding oh, okay of his growth. yeah i was gonna say i think it was actually really important that he had that conversation with him and it, it was just the two of them and i think that kind of moves that along in terms of growth because he had that conversation of, yeah, is it just, is it the helmet or is it not seeing your face? Because, you know, and he's pointing out these flaws and these holes. And I think it's really making him think about, okay, yeah, what is it actually? And he's pretty quiet for a lot of, a lot of the talking that he gets from Mayfield. Yeah, and and I think that maybe why I felt it was muddling to the audience is that we don't necessarily see a reaction from him that indicates that this conversation has made him think of something and change his mind, which it might actually be that that conversation is a part of the growth that we're seeing. It's just, it's not obvious from how he reacts to the conversation with Mayfield that it is it is indeed changing his attitude towards taking the helmet off. Not from, not a reaction right then and there, but I think through his two actions after that, that were really big. Cause yeah, he, he was saying like, Oh, well it seems, or Mayfield was saying like, all oh, the rules seem to change when things get messy. Cause you know, I think he, he had, situations where he ran into that and kind of changed maybe what he would have planned to do because he was you know who he was working for and and whatnot um so so that brings us to yeah taking off the helmet to get the scan and then in the very last episode when he's saying goodbye taking off his helmet again and everybody is there so i think i think that that was kind of the the actions showed us that like, Oh, uh, I don't want to say he's moving past it, but like learning that maybe the way that he grew up with isn't the only way and it's still okay. And you can still be Mandalorian in other ways. 
just real briefly to go back to a bad point. Um, I didn't know this because I hadn't got to Rebels yet, which comes after Clone Wars as far as uh, Star Wars chronology goes. But apparently um, in that show, um, one of the characters there that has the Darksaber gives it to Bo-Katan. So that whole thing from Moff Gideon about he can't just give it to you like, you know, she has to beat you to get the saber doesn't really hold water if we're supposed to believe that Rebels and and Mandalorian are both canon. So I understand what they were saying. And, you know, I, I understand it. It's potentially setting up a conflict for, for season three. But that did seem a little bit of a continuity goof if what I had you know read about what happened in Rebels is how it actually went down. Like I said, I haven't watched those episodes yet. So I may be wrong, but I was thinking about that when I was watching it the second time because I'm like, wait a minute. I saw a, a thing about this and, and someone who had seen Rebels says that, you know, Bo-Katan was just given the Darksaber. So apparently that is something that can happen. But when he tried to give it to her, she wouldn't take it. So I I don't know. I'm confused. I need to continue my watch and get to Rebels and see what happened in that sequence. I guess that that kind of leads us to where all these stories are taking us. So so yeah, there's there's that. Like there's this issue still that they kind of just left open ended of how is we know her goal is to to have the lightsaber or the dark saber rather to reclaim Mandalore. Um, so we don't, we don't really know what's going on with that. Um, but you said that they might have their own season for. Well, so I'm, I'm confused as to where things are going to go from here because um, Moff Gideon seems very focused on the child. Luke has the child. So does that mean Moff Gideon is not going to be involved in the next season of the Mandalorian? but probably Bo-Katan and her group is because he has the Darksaber, so they're probably going to try and recruit him to go rebuild Mandalore because that, that's her goal is to rebuild Mandalore. So whether she does it or whether he does it, does it really matter? Well, okay. And then, okay, speaking of the child, from episode eight in the main Star Wars movies, um, Luke... Or that's where the whole thing about Luke kind of in the middle of the night, like maybe goes to Ben while he's sleeping or Ben Solo and then was almost going to kill him. And then like he goes into a rage and I don't know if he like went and killed other other, you know, Padawans or like other students at other, Luke's Academy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Or was he the only one Luke was teaching? Wouldn't Grogu have been part of these kids that were learning? Or I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if they're just going to meet up with Din beforehand and pass him off again. I don't. Yeah, I don't I know. Don't know. I, I'm wondering if what here. Here's what I'm wondering. So um, when they established the new canon and, and they made all the old books and comics and everything legends. It was to like you know clean up a lot of history and continuity that that they might find you know restrictive in the stories they want to tell. So, but they've put out new books that are that are in continuity and new comics that are in continuity. So I'm wondering if maybe the Luke Grogu 
um, Luke's Academy type thing becomes either a book or a comic book or something like that that will continue Grogu's story and see him like go off to do whatever. Like he get he gets trained enough, he, he goes, goes off on, on a mission, mission so that we don't have a situation where Ben ends up killing Grogu or something like that to to so that he's not apart during seven, eight, and and nine. You know. Like I, I feel like that's what's going to happen. I, I feel like they're not going to kill off Grogu. They're going to find a way to kind of sideline him, so he's not. It's not a glaring not absence of him in seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the last. I don't know thing that I had that it was just okay. Where are these stories going? I'm excited for stuff. Oh well, okay. So let me actually finish off with. I'm super super excited for the book of Boa Fett um that last uh sequence or scene at the end um I was so excited that it was it was great so they're back on Tatooine um in Jabba's palace right yes that was Jabba's palace which they had to build a set for because they said the um angles and and whatever uh, inside the palace wouldn't work in the uh in the volume because they couldn't find a way to seamlessly make the the part that they build blend in with the the video screens so i thought that was kind of interesting of how difficult that set was for them to to create in the volume so they had to actually re you know rebuild it so so we're back in java's palace and i was I liked that we started to see characters that we, or for me, recognized again. So like, okay, there was like another Twi'lek prisoner, I think. Yes, another, another dancing girl. Um, But she looked like a prisoner because I think they let her go. And then there's Bib Fortuna again. Um, But he's, I don't know, like really fat, like kind of makes me, like reminds me of Jabba, like in phantom menace you see him and oh it's like a smaller jabba yeah it's like getting becoming the crime lord of tatooine or whatever allows you to get fat and like kind of live off spoils or whatever and it sounds like like they were saying well bib fortuna took over after jabba got killed and he he did the same thing as kind of what i think that was saying and what was cool is they mentioned in the the gallery that the actor who played Bib Fortuna in episode one was the same actor who played him here. Yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, they're using the same actor and then just that, I don't, how do I, yeah, you're able to, you know, you're, you're the boss and you get to lay back. Everyone can, will do your bidding for you. You bask in whatever food you want and everything. It's, what what do they say gluttony right that's kind of it embodies that and i thought that was great um so and i just i guess i really liked how that ended too with boba fett's on the throne and i don't i don't see him getting fat honestly like i just it doesn't i don't see that happening i was gonna say it seems like they're they're starting down because fennec immediately goes and grabs a bottle of liquor or some sort of drink (laughs) And Boba Fett sits on the throne. Like, we don't see him eat anything, but it kind of makes me wonder, like, what is the book of Boba Fett going to be? Because if he's trying to take over whatever goes on at Jabba's, in Jabba's palace or Fortuna's palace now or whatever, that empire, that, that uh, collective 
whatever it is, because we never really knew other than Han Solo was running stuff for Jabba and had to to drop his cargo, and that's why Jabba had a bounty on out on him. Other than that, we had nothing else from the movies to let us know what businesses Jabba was in, what kind of stuff he was doing. And, of course, we don't get any of that in that four-minute scene or three-minute scene, yeah. however long it is. So that'll be interesting to see where the Book of Boba Fett goes. Um, so Thrawn was in Rebels, I know, and that's why Ahsoka was asking, you know, where's your where's your master? Where's Thrawn? Mm-hmm. Like, she's trying to hunt down Thrawn, so I'm assuming that's going to be kind of the plot point of the, uh, of the Ahsoka series. There's a an Obi-Wan series. There's still the Cassian Andor series that hasn't come out. Um, they announced at least three or four other series at um, D23 or, or the shareholders meeting for Disney, something like that. Um, so there's a lot of Star Wars still to come. You know, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to see where we go with all, all this. I'm, I'm excited to see where season three of The Mandalorian goes as well. Um, they definitely seeded plenty of, of things for them to follow up on, you know, as, as we go forward. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where all that goes. The other stuff that I, that I noticed that, that didn't come up in our, our talking points is they tried to give us a little bit of connection to seven, eight and nine. Um, I think this other thing I saw mentioned that, um, that woman on, um, uh, Moff Gideon's ship, the one that, uh, the i think the spy reports to that he's put the the, the one that planted the yeah mm-hmm. the one who takes that the call, tracking beacon or whatever um the the video i was watching said that her uniform is kind of a mix between classic empire and what the first order uniforms look like so they're kind of like giving you little bits and pieces towards where we end up starting with seven eight and nine the cloning facility had some snoke looking bodies in those in tubes. tubes right and, well we did get the recording from the, whatever a few days before that about um from the the doctor scientist yeah, person Dr. Pershing. about oh the blood from the donor and how oh this body rejected it we're gonna need more so you know that is what they're using it for like i think well the question is are there. they using it for snoke or are they using it for, for the emperor and was Snoke an early attempt to resurrect the emperor, emperor that just didn't work out, but he lived enough to be the MacGuffin in the final trilogy before we get the actual reveal of Emperor Palpatine? Like, those are the things that they seem to be kind of seeding a little bit of backstory to here. And I'm curious because I feel like we're kind of losing the whole, with what we know is coming, we're kind of losing the whole Baby Yoda, um, Moff Gideon storyline it kind of seems like so i'm wondering like where that's going and how much more of the interim they're going to seed out because i think this is like 25 years roughly before episode seven i think we figured this out when we were watching season one because it's five years after return of the jedi and i think episode seven was 30 years after return of the jedi so there's still a lot of time in that interim there for them to play with and give us more books comics another show so yeah, I'm curious. Um, I I don't know that we have anything specifically planned that would include that at this time, but we'll have to see with season three of The Mandalorian and some of these other shows. So why don't you give us your wrap up and rating? So I feel like I've said all I'm going to say, and I don't really need to summarize this. I'm just 
you guys know how excited I'm, I am about, well, I guess I will wrap it up, you know, the creatures, the different, the new stuff that we're seeing, but they're tying it in with old stuff that we might have seen, the ships, the droids, um, and with all the characters, I love the fight scenes, the weaponry, um, and uh, with that, um, you guys know that I love Boba Fett, so I'm going to give this season a rating of nine Boba Fett lives out of ten. Does that mean he has to fall into seven more Sarlacc pits? I hope not. I don't want to see him go into... Well, I don't know. He has his armor and like... I'm curious. I'm wondering if we're going to get that story or something about something more about that of how he actually got out. Like get a little backstory of yeah. how he got out and how he lost his armor because the the Jawas mm-hmm. had it, and then how he maybe he how he acquired the the stick and. Did you finish reading the? Were you reading the tales of the bounty hunters? Right? I was. Did you read the Boba Fett tale? No, I think it started off with an IG unit. Yeah, I think IG eighty eight's the first tale in there. And then I can't remember what it goes to after that. I think that. it's Forlum mm-hmm. and Zuckus after that. I think the Boba Fett one's near the back. I'll have to probably go back and see where that goes. It I'm you don't think it's from before the Sarlacc pit though? No, so the... it's either the it's either the Dengar story or the Boba Fett story in there that tells you how he gets out of the Sarlacc in oh. le- in Legends, which is no no longer canon. Okay. But if you want a tale about how he gets out of the Sarlacc, you can read that tale from or one of those tales from Tales of the Bounty Hunters book. So I guess that's what I'll be doing to um, become more knowledgeable about Boba Fett's life and getting out of the Sarlacc pit. But yeah, maybe maybe we'll see that in the book of Boba Fett. I think they got to at least mention it, if not give us like a um, a scene like we had with Cobb and clearing out the town, something like that. Um, okay, so. I'm in pretty much 100% agreement with you. I like all the same things you do. And I, as you've heard me talk about through the eight episodes about the first season and this episode about season two, I just absolutely love all the stuff that they can pack in there of things from Star Wars past, both legends and new canon and all all that stuff. I, I, this is one of, my most anticipated and most favorite shows probably ever like uh, that, that I, that has been on, on TV. It's also one of the most anticipated shows because for 15, 20 years, probably yeah, 20 years since episode one, there has been rumor of a live action star Wars show and it just has, has never materialized until uh, Disney plus, you know, last year. So this is the one show that I was okay with watching week by week. And actually waiting, you know, like back in the day when you had to watch it on cable TV and watch, this is when it's coming out and this is, you know, you watch it and then you go and talk about it with all, you know, your friends at at school or your coworkers at work. And this is the one show that I was, okay, I got to watch it every week. In a lot of ways... Um, I think I said this and I don't I don't I, I can't remember if it was in our first season coverage or not that um, it's it's doing a lot of the things Game of Thrones was doing because that was also one of those where it's like, yeah, it came out weekly and you had to watch it pretty close to around the time that it had actually aired on Friday nights or Sunday nights, whatever night it was. Sundays, I think. I think you're right. I think that one was Sundays because 
if you were on the internet at all or you were, you know, around a group of people at work or at school, they'd be talking about it and you'd hear something and you'd be like, oh, no, man, spoilers. I, ah, I hadn't yeah. watched it yet. So I think this is a lot like that one, yep. you know, and and I think I said something about I was wasn't sure if we'd ever get something like that again. And here we are. So we did. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm super happy with what we have so far. I, but because this is my number one primary love, like my, my fandom, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hard on it. So a lot of times when I talk about the star Wars things, I do still love it, but I can complain about its flaws. And I think it's be for me, it's a nine and not a 10 out of 10 because there's so there's just these little things that I'm like, Oh, it could have been so easy. And like, oh, it would have made it like so much better. I would have loved it so more, so much more. I wouldn't have questioned it. And I think that's, that's what bugs me. It's because I want it to be so good. Like I want to love every episode and every single thing about it. So I think maybe that's where it comes from. Like we're so passionate about it that you, like you don't want to see like the little like, um, he could have called back the jetpack. Like, why doesn't he have it? He could call it from the top of the mountain. Yeah, or or the Mayfield, uh, in the refinery thing. Like, yeah, yeah, it's stuff like that 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 makes my rating also going to be a nine nine out of ten. So, um, I'm going to say nine dark troopers because, oh my gosh, were those some very impressive and sturdy droids? It took a lightsaber. It took a lightsaber and a Beskar, uh, um spear which when they introduced that i'm like what's he gonna do with that and then i'm like when it when when it came to fighting the the dark saber and the dark troopers i'm like oh yeah this is this is like the the thing in in a video game where they give you one item you're like what am i gonna do with this and then that's the exact item you need for the next you know thing or like the q gadgets in bond it's like when's he gonna need that oh because that's gonna come up in this movie that's why he's gonna need that um, but yeah, nine, uh, dark troopers out of, out of 10. So what did you guys think? Uh, are you in agreement with us? Did you like it more? Did you like it less? Uh, you can share your thoughts with us by email at arcreactionspod at gmail.com. You can also drop them at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash arcreactionspodcast. You can tweet them at us at arcreactionspod and you can tumble our way at arcreactionspodcast.tumblr.com. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and more. Once again, a big thank you to Packy for our intro and outro music. We love that guy. And join us in March for our next episode, which uh, we're not entirely sure what we're going to do, but we're looking at either WandaVision or uh, Umbrella Academy Season 2. But we haven't decided yet. So join us uh, next month for, uh, for our next episode. Thank you. This has been a cat interrupted production.